Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I reflected on this passage throughout the week, there was a memory that just kept coming back to me. It's ingrained in, in who I am. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church, and I grew up on church potlucks, covered dish. Remember those? Yeah, those were great, weren't they? And I remember that when we would have them at this little Methodist church I grew up in, I was just as happy as could be. Because I knew that if I was lucky and I got in line first, I could get me some of Rosa Almanza's rice. Finest rice in San Antonio. Now, Rosa's gone on to be with the Lord, but I still remember that rice. And I remember a lot of the other dishes that were just so tasty. And I was always amazed at how there always seemed to be enough food for everyone. We never ran out. There was always food there. No matter how long the line was, everybody got food, and typically we could go back for seconds, sometimes thirds. But the food was great. I miss that. I don't know about you, but I miss that. The joy of, of being in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ around a table, sharing and getting to know one another and hearing our stories and hearing what's going on. God, I miss that. Dang COVID, get, get out of here. But I was always amazed that we never ran out. And it wasn't until much later, until I, I entered ministry, that I, uh, I understood how that happened. It's very simple. You see, in our little church, we always had someone who was designated as the kitchen manager on that particular covered dish Sunday. And their job was to survey the congregation during the service to make sure how many people were there. And if they saw that, that there weren't that many people or there was a normal, a normal amount of people and we, and we had enough, we were good. But if it were a special Sunday or somebody's anniversary or, or we were baptizing and there were more families than we normally had, that kitchen manager would send somebody out to go get more food. So that when we went through the lines, it was all there. See, that was brilliant. I would have never thought about that. That's what they did. There was always food. And I loved it. And so that's what came to mind as, as I reflected on this passage of Jesus feeding the multitudes, uh, the, the multiplication of the, of the meal, if you will. Now, as we look at this passage, I want us to, to take a step back and, and look what, what is happening before we get to verses 34 through 44. Jesus earlier had sent out his disciples in teams of two to go into the fields, to go into the harvest, to start doing the work of ministry. Up to this point, they've been watching Jesus, right? learning from Jesus, seeing how he does things. And so early in chapter 6, he sends them out. And they're, they're out in the fields doing what Jesus has taught them. It's what I would call or what my dad would call working at Kelly, OJT, right? On the job training or OTJ. And so they're, 
They're out there learning and doing. And then they come back. They come back to report to Jesus and to each other all that they've experienced, all that's going on, and what they learned. And so Jesus sets them apart on a boat, and they they get into this boat because Jesus, while they're out there, is still ministering to people. He's still ministering to the crowds. And now he's at that point where he needs a break. He needs to rest. Because the other thing that he finds out during this time leading up to these particular verses is that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed. And so he has to deal with that grief. And he's mourning for his cousin. And so he gets on this boat with his disciples to get away, to get a break, and they get on the, on the water. But along the shore are the multitudes. They can see the boat, and they're following it. In fact, it says that they go on ahead because they have an idea of where he's going to land. And so they go on ahead to wait for Jesus. And they're just waiting there. They're like, oh, hope you hurry up and come. They're, they're like, Jesus says, like sheep without a shepherd. Because there's so much need among the multitude. These are people who are hurting. These are people who are hungry. These are people who are scared for the most part. And so they go on ahead of Jesus and his disciples and wait where they appear, they believe he's going to land. (coughs) They wait for Jesus to arrive. And Jesus is just trying to get a little bit of rest, hear back from his disciples. And then he sees the crowd. And even though he's tired, and even though he's grieving, he has compassion for the multitude, the scripture says. His compassion. He's moved by their hurts, their pains, by their fear. Now, let's take a look at the context and let's look at the order of the day and and what these people are are facing for the most part. Now, most biblical scholars will tell you that they were living in a time where where the average person, some will say as high as 90%, some will say as low as 70%, whatever percentage it is, most people lived in abject poverty. Now, what that means is that they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. Because remember, this is a people that is under oppression from the Roman Empire. And guess what? It takes a lot of resources to feed and care for that Roman army. And so all the resources went to Rome. And so the people, for the most part, are hungry. The people, for the most part, are without resources, not knowing if they will eat today. Now, I can venture a guess that most of us, if not all of us, never worry about whether we're going to eat today. We might worry about what we're going to eat today or where we're going to eat, but not if we're going to eat. Those of you who are married like me, uh, my, I'll just like my wife's watching, I will tell her as I get ready to leave, what would you like for me to pick up? 
And she's going to say, oh, it doesn't matter, whatever you want. And then I will make a suggestion. No, not that. <laughs> Diane, please know what you're going to eat today so I can pick that up. So we don't have that issue of determining whether we're going to eat today. We, 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 we fight about what we're going to eat. But the people of this time, the vast majority of them, didn't know if they would eat on any particular day. And so Jesus has compassion for them. Even though he's tired, even though he's grieving, he's moved by their reality, by their circumstance. And he's been teaching them pretty much the whole day, filling them with knowledge from heaven on how to live. And it gets to the point where the disciples are probably in the background looking at their, well, they don't have watches, but looking at their wrist and saying, Jesus, it's getting late. We're out here in a deserted place. There is nothing around us. It's an isolated place, the Bible says. Let these people go into the villages, into the countryside, so that they might get something to eat. And Jesus says something extraordinary. You feed them. You feed them. You feed them. And they kind of give Jesus a reality check. What? There's at least 5,000 men here, not counting the women and children, which is probably going to bring it closer to 15, 20,000 people gathered in this field. We don't have the resources. It, it would take 200 denarii. One denarii was the average wage of a, of a person at that particular time. So it's going to take 200 days of, of saving denarii to feed them. We don't have that. And Jesus says, well, go out and gather what we have. And so they do. They follow Jesus' orders. They do and come back. And I can imagine that most of them, like me, are, are like, yeah, we told you, man. There's, we got five loaves and two fish. 20,000 people. What are we going to do with that? And so Jesus goes through this exercise with his disciples and with us to teach us a very vital lesson and to remind us of the God whom we... You see, one of the Hebrew names for God in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Bible is Jehovah-Jireh. The God who provides, or God my provider, if you will. And so what Jesus is trying to help the disciples and trying to help us see today is that many times, all the time, what we need to do is trust God a little more. I am so grateful for the offertory song that the choir sang. It's one of those old classic Christian hymns, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And so Jesus is helping his disciples realize the need to trust God. But he doesn't leave it there because remember what he said, you feed them and obey. We don't like that word much in today's culture, our country, obey? <laughs> I obey no one. I'm my own man. But to be happy in Jesus requires trusting and obeying. And so the, the disciples do what Jesus says. They gather the five loaves and the two fish, and they present it before Jesus, and Jesus turns to God blesses the food that has been provided and breaks it before them. And then the miracle happens. And the food just keeps coming. Sort of like that covered dish at Principe de Paz. The food's just there. Because Jesus is the kitchen manager. Jesus is making sure that there's more than enough because the job that Jesus is called to do is to bring fullness of joy, to bring wholeness and completion. You might remember a story similar to this out of Exodus. Remember when the Israelites were, were traveling in the wilderness or in the desert and they started to complain. They started to gripe to Moses. And they said, did you bring us out here to die? We have no bread. Moses goes before God. And the next day, manna from heaven falls from the heavens. And does so each and every day. God continues to provide that manna from heaven just for that day so that people will continue to trust in him. My friends, what we learn in this story in Mark is that Jesus, in fact, is the manna from heaven. He is the bread of life sent down by God who will bring fullness and wholeness to those who seek him. And so this morning, as we reflect on this passage, consider what it means to be full in Jesus. Because remember, at the beginning, Jesus spent the morning and the afternoon teaching those he had compassion on. Teaching him how to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. How to know the kingdom here and now. And then he provides the bread. His own body broken and given for you and for me. There is fullness in Jesus. There is wholeness and completion 
in Jesus. That's what we call salvation. Redemption. Forgiveness. To experience the fullness of Jesus allows you to experience the joy of your salvation. And my prayer for you and for me is that we would continually trust God and obey God to continue knowing that fullness.